This is David Tarkington, pastor of the First Baptist Church of Orange Park, Florida. Thank you for downloading this sermon. For any other information or questions you may have, please go to firstfam.org or give us a call at 904-264-2351. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you, since we're set down for a full three minutes, I'm going to ask you to stand up again just for a moment. I want you to stand up in in honor of the reading of God's Word, and we're going to read out of Acts chapter 16. If you don't have a copy, there are some Bibles in the pew there. It'll also be on the screen. But Acts chapter 16 continues the second missionary journey of Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, and we take up in verse 11. It says, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had, gathered, who had come together. One who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what we, was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. You may be seated. May God bless the reading of his word. Years ago, when I came here in 1995, as many of you know, I was a student pastor here, and and, um, I was driving back to church one day midweek, going back to the office, and I had turned off of Blanding Boulevard. I don't know why I was over on Blanding, but I was, and I was turning by Orange Park High School, and I was on my way back to the church, and as I was driving down Kingsley Avenue here, uh, headed back to First Baptist, I looked on the side of the, uh, the road, and there was a car on the side of the road, and it was a young teenage girl in the car, and I didn't know her. I had never, didn't recognize her. I was a student minister, so I'm thinking, well, school just let out, and her car's broken down. I also saw another car pull over in front of her, beside her, uh, and it was a young man who wasn't a member of our church, but was a man a young teenager who was faithful to follow the Lord. In fact, he, he became just a really good friend. He went into the mission field eventually, he and his wife did, and his, his family are members here, but he, he was never a member, but he was someone that I connected to somehow, some way along the line. We used to get together at the old Dunkin' Donuts, which is over there now where Urban Bean is, and we would have coffee in the morning, and we would talk about Bible stuff. So here I am just having a little, little uh, Monday morning men's uh, breakfast with this uh, 16, 17-year-old high school kid. Well, I saw that he'd pulled over, so I thought, hmm, maybe I should help. So I pull over with all the mechanical experience that I have on working with cars, I looked at the car and said, that is a car. And at that point, I asked the young lady, I said, is everything okay? You doing all right? And she said, I don't know. It just stopped. It just quit. And I need to get in touch with my dad or my mom. I said, okay. Um, these are the days before ever, the fact that everyone had cell phones. So no one, she didn't have a cell phone. I said, well, um, if you guys will come with me and I'm, we'll, we'll all go down, I can take you down to the church and you can use the phone at the church. You can just stay there. And, and, um, and, and I, I don't remember all the details. I'm, maybe her car even started working just well enough to get it here. But she, was in, she ended up in our offices over here, and the young man came in with her, and then he had to go, and I started talking with her. And, and, and let me just ask you, has anybody else here ever seen anybody on the side of the road with car trouble? Anybody in the history of life? Okay, anybody else drive by those people on the side of the road with car trouble? In your mind, you're thinking, man, somebody ought to stop and help them, right? Okay, and anybody like me that just says, well, I hope somebody does, and you keep going. Okay, so that's me, right? That day, I, didn't, I, I, I stopped, Usually I can justify in my own mind why I don't need to stop because what can I do? I can change a tire. I can tell you, I can get my jumper cables out. I can do the basics like that, but um, I justify that, well, you know, I'm sure somebody else is coming. Well, I stopped. I'm not trying to puff myself up. I'm saying like that's rarely happens. I did the right thing. So I did. 
She came over to the church. She called her parents, and they were, everything was good. They were glad she was here, and, and they were going to come get her and get the car and all take care of that. But here's, here's the thing. I started talking to her. We're in a church, so now it's my domain, right? It's a safe place. So I'm asking her, hey, do you go to church? Do you have a youth group somewhere? Because uh, I'm the youth pastor, right? Our goal is to get more people in the youth group. And she, she did not. And then I, started, I presented the gospel to her because that's what you're supposed to do, right? You, you present the gospel. And then she responded in such a way that really, it, I hate to tell you this, it surprised me. In fact, it, it blew me away because I didn't even really have a long conversation with her. And she said, no joke, I know you won't believe this. I said, would you like to become a follower of Christ? Would you like to surrender your life to Jesus Christ? And you know what she said? Yes. To which I said, wait a minute, did you understand what I said? I feel like this was a little too easy. I feel like, wait a minute, wait a minute, let me time out, time out. Now, now, now here, I, I fully understand. I read this this past week. This just, I'll just share, you know, pastoral frustration. So I saw this, this church. I don't even know where it is. It's a Baptist church of some sorts. And it had on their website how, how, who their pastor was and this, that, and the other. And so it, it talked about his credentials, you know, at the I Love Me page on the, on the website. And, and in the description of the church, it said something to the effect that our church, you know, we love the Lord, love the Bible, great, great, great. And we have uh, knocked on 4,000 doors in the last year of our community. So, you know, hello, will you let me in? That, you know, that's rare. So they did that. I've just seen if you do it again. All right, so thank you. I need to quit picking on, on her. She's going to be, I don't know what she'll say about me. I have no idea. She's just going to say So, um, and then it said, we've had over 3,000 people come to the Lord this year. I said, man, that's pretty incredible. And then it said, and on a weekly basis, we have almost 100 in attendance. Now, initially, I'm like, huh, that's weird. And then it hit me. Oh. See, here's what I've learned, and, and, and it, I struggle with this. Sometimes Christianity is sold as pray this prayer, one, two, three, repeat after me, throw you in some water. Now you're a Christian, and you're really not. And what, what was being propagated is this get you out of hell ticket, right? But that's not disciple making. And so when I, when, and I struggle with this because I'm thinking about this young lady I'm talking to and I'm like, do you want to become a Christian? And, and, and I know that, and I'm okay with praying the prayer. I know that's not in scripture, but I am okay with that confession of faith that it says that you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved and, and that, that anyone can do this if you would but surrender to him. I understand that Romans 10 passage and I believe it wholeheartedly, but I think sometimes we, we have kind of soft-souled Christianity that is a, a get out of hell free card as a repeat after me and everything's good. You don't have to walk with him. You don't have to go to church. You don't have to be a faithful disciple. Just as long as there's that moment in your life, you can look back and say, I prayed something. I don't know that that's real Christianity. I think that's a bad, bad salesmanship. I don't think any church should advertise that we had 3,000 baptized and 100 disciples show up every now and then. Something's not working. I'm not great with math, but that's not good math. I think about this young lady and I thought about the fact that for once in my life, I stopped. For once in my life, I felt the urging of the Holy Spirit to say, ask her, tell her. I have orchestrated. It's almost like God is saying, her car didn't break by accident. I don't need you, David, but I'm letting you get in on this. So I said, hey, let me, let me ask you about Christ. Let me ask you about the Lord. Now, she was a sweet girl. Ended up joining our youth group, ended up getting baptized, ended up going on mission trips with us, and, 
And, and yet she was like a lot in our community. She knew Jesus like, you know, you're from the South. You know Jesus and Leonard Skinner at about the same equality, right? I know who they are and I like what they talk about or at least I like the tunes, and, but I don't know them until she knew him. I wish I had more stories like that of when I was faithful to follow the urging of the Holy Spirit, but I must confess that more often than not, I talk myself out of what I need to do as God has positioned me. And maybe you're that way too. And so I seek his forgiveness in that because I have a lot more stories that end up like, I should have said something. I should have stopped. I should have asked. And I can talk myself, maybe you can too. Here's a generational phrase that I hear a lot. Oh, it's just so awkward. Hey, any Christian that is not jumping headfirst into awkward, you're not really doing it right in case you think that it's supposed to be smooth and cool. It is awkward. God bless the awkward. So I was amazed. And let me just say something else that maybe I've not shared with you enough. Every single time somebody comes to know the Lord, it amazes me. It blows me away. It blows me away that God saves any of us. I am amazed that God would care. I am amazed when someone surrenders. I am amazed when a simple explanation of the gospel, the good news of Christ, that you deserve death, but here's a gift, and if you receive it, you can get saved, that people respond to that. I am amazed when people say, I'm ready to surrender my life to Jesus Christ. I am amazed that God's message of redemption is so easy to understand if it would just be listened to and heard. It's not difficult to hear. It may be difficult to receive, but the message is so simple. We are sinners. We deserve death. God loves us. He sent his son, Jesus, the perfect one, God the Son, Son of God, to live a perfect life, die a real death in payment for sins that he never committed because the wages of sin has always been death. Somebody had to die. And he rose again on the third day for the glory of the Father. And that death is deserved by you and me, but life is a gift and we would but receive it. Boom, you were dead, now you're alive. You can be born again. It is simple. It is amazing. It is the amazing grace we sing about. How sweet the sound. Dr. Luke, the author inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words, these inerrant, immutable words down that we call the book of Acts that is in our Bible today, describes details of this trip with Paul, Silas, Timothy, and himself on this mission journey. We know it collectively as Paul's second missionary journey. The team leaves Troas, which is a coastal city on the edge of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. We know the Holy Spirit has already told them, you can't go further into Asia. I'm going to stop you there because I have somewhere else for you to go. And in their obedience, they said, okay, we'll go where you lead us. They even had backup plans, God kept shutting those down. And then eventually Paul has a vision, a dream of a man from a place called Macedonia who is speaking to Paul in this dream or in this vision saying, come over here to us and share the good news with us. And the team following the apostolic leadership of Paul and the inspiration of the Spirit of God and the command of the Spirit of God makes their way from where they are to Macedonia. They go from Troas to Samothrace in one day, and I am not an expert on the geography of those locations, but I looked it up and discovered, as the, uh, as the, uh, the commentators and those who have written about this have said, it is a doable, uh, doable trip from there to there in one day, but it means that when you get on the ship, the wind is at your back completely, and it's pushing you fast. It's kind of like if you've ever driven from Jacksonville down, down 17, 
Roosevelt, does, does anybody else play this game? You're coming from Jacksonville trying to get here to Orange Park or Clay County, and the goal is to hit every light as it's green. Am I the only one that does that? Okay, you slow down and speed up appropriately just to not have to stop. You lose points if you have to stop. So you're watching, green light, go, green light, go, green light, go, yellow, green light, go, you know, or whatever. You know, you can make it work. So apparently they had the wind at their back. They made it in one day. They go from there, from Samothrace to Neapolis in another day. So that's another quick trip. And now they have arrived in Philippi. Now Philippi is a city that we're going, oh, I recognize that one because Paul wrote a letter to the church at Philippi, the Philippian church. But Philippi is that city in Macedonia. It is a city that's vital to the region. It's a bullseye of the target that Paul and his team were called by God to go to preach the gospel to the people that they had in the vision. It is a city defined by great lostness. Can I just pause and say, can you think of any city on the planet not defined by great lostness? Every city seems to be defined that way. It is defined by great lostness, and it's where God's spirit has directed God's disciples to go preach God's good news. I hope you caught that. Where they were sent, was le- they were led by God's spirit as God's disciples to preach God's good news. In a desire of many churches and ministries seeking relevancy today, let me just say, this is the most relevant thing anybody, any church, any Christian could do is recognize that nothing has changed. We are God's people sent with God's message to the place God desires. And if we're obedient, we will go. But there are things that we need to understand in teachings in this short passage, and there is so much in this passage, but I'm only going to go one direction today into this. And I know some will email me go, why don't you talk about Thyatira? Why don't you talk about the purple? Why don't you talk about this? Because as I said, we could preach the same passage every week for about three months, but I'm going to talk about one specific thing that, that the Spirit of God has led me in my study and reading to present to you today. As I think about this, this calling and this is that which we are to do, I, I, I am commanded here, I am, I am encouraged, I am, I am challenged to, 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 to not presume. So if you're looking for points to write down, don't presume. Don't presume that the person that God has put in front of you is not interested in hearing about the gospel. And I think maybe in my own life I've convinced myself that's the case far too often. As believers, let me just ask you this. Do you, do you, anybody here know anybody that's lost? Anybody? Anybody know a lost person? Okay, good. We're all on the same page. So we know lost people. So I don't have to convince you that lost people exist on this planet, that there are more people not going to heaven than there are. You know that, right? I don't have to convince you of the lostness. You don't need any more empirical evidence of separation from God for everybody in the room knows somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That could be a coworker. it could be a, uh, somebody in your neighborhood, it could be somebody in that, the HOA you're, you're volunteering in or at the gym that you go to or, or, or likely, and this is just a reality, just about everybody in here could probably name that person that shares your DNA because they're in your family and they're lost. You love them, you're burdened for them, they break you, but they don't know Jesus. So the Evidence of lostness is clear around us. So we don't have to convince ourselves. You don't have to convince me that I sin. I I get that. Some people you do have to convince, and I've met them. The narcissistic behaviors and those thought processes where they think they've got it all together and no need to ask for forgiveness, they're very wrong. They're just guilty of being prideful by even saying that. So there's their sin. But we don't have to be convinced that there are people far from God. Do you know why none of the Christians in this room or online have to be convinced that there are people far from God? Because every Christian in this room and online today, at one point in our journey, we were far from God. 
There is nobody born a Christian. You ever met somebody like that? Well, I've always been a Christian. No, you haven't. Even if your mother gave birth on a pew, you are not born a Christian. There are only born-again Christians, no born Christians. Their born-again moment must take place. But it seems all too often that we just presume that those on our minds and our hearts and those in our community and those we know or those that at least we believe pretty convincingly because we see no fruit in their life are far from God and lost. We just presume they don't want to talk about it. And maybe sometimes they've told you they don't want to talk about it. That's a little more than a presumption. That's actually you've been told. They don't want to talk about it. But sometimes in our own justification of not bringing up the conversation, we just are convinced, well, they probably don't want to talk about it. They've, they've grown up in the South. Their dad was a preacher. Their grandfather was a preacher. They, 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 they know Jesus. I saw them at an Easter pageant once. They don't want to talk about it. They've heard it. It's on them. Sometimes we presume a little too much. Sometimes I presume way too much. It says in verse 14, one who heard was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. Lydia is an interesting character, a wealthy businesswoman with influence in the first century. This isn't 2021. This is 21 or a little later than that. It's the first century. She is a businesswoman. She is a respected businesswoman a seller of purple. She is from Thyatira. Apparently, she has a pretty large house because she invites the four missionaries to come stay over with her and her family, and they had enough room for everyone, and it wasn't awkward. Lydia. If you're picking somebody that probably doesn't want to have a conversation because they've got it all together, Lydia is the kind of person that dresses nicely, speaks well, gives to the poor, and looks to have it all together. She's the one nominated and elected as the leader of local clubs. She is the one influential in the community. She is, she doesn't want to talk about Jesus. In fact, it even defines her as a God-fearer. Hmm. So certainly, she's got it all figured out. But, but here's something to consider. While most would presume that Lydia would not have any desire to have that kind of conversation about the gospel, she happened to be there with some other women at this place where Paul and the missionaries went to pray on the Sabbath. I think there's just a whole lot of cultural rules being broken during this little story. But for the glory of God, they are where they are, and they see Lydia, and she is obviously an influencer. And the mission team shows up, and had they presumed she would not care, they would have missed that moment. So don't presume that you know everyone's motives. And don't presume just because they look good on the outside that they're not falling apart on the inside. And don't presume just because their Instagrams look really pretty that that's just a facade because the real life is torn up. Don't presume. And secondly, don't profile. Now, the word profiling, we know what that means, and that comes with a lot of baggage nowadays. But profiling is ultimately determined and defined this way. By predetermining a quote-unquote type of person, either by race, gender, culture, age, socioeconomic status, or any number of things that would be open for a certain uh, product or to be watched more closely, depending on how you use the term, it could be seen profiling as a positive or a negative. In church life, 
churches in America have profiled for decades, decades and decades and decades. We just call it gathering demographic information. It's not sinful, by the way. But in the age of the church growth movement, which thankfully we, look to, we, we seem to have survived, we have moved beyond building seeker-sensitive churches, though some are still trying to do that, seeker-sensitive churches for a John Doe and a Jane Doe that listen to a certain type of music, look a certain way, drive a certain car, live in a certain neighborhood, and where the church then is built around a target market to sell a product to an appropriate customer. That's the seeker model. Some of you are struggling to go, what's wrong with that? I'll tell you what's wrong with that. It turns Christians into customers. And the customer is always right, unless you read the Bible. And nowhere did Christ die for a congregation to be turned into customers. For God alone is always right. Not me, not you. And when seeker-sensitive churches thrive and drive and build on celebrity pastor culture, rock concert-style music, products where you can buy stuff, you're doing little less gospel and a lot more brand growth. See, we, we've, we've adopted so many uh, uh, marketing strategies that sometimes churches have relied more on the marketing strategies and the demographic studies, i.e. profiling, than spirit-led, biblically-based guidance. And I'm not throwing stones, I'm catching them on this one. This is just a reality. The scripture is clear, if we were to try to, now think about this, I, I, as you're building your, your John Doe and your Jane Doe profile of the people you try to meet, I, and I, I work with a lot of church planners, I look with a lot of pastors, these are godly men seeking to follow God and do well, but rarely do I find a church planner that is uh, called to a poor population in a struggling area. It is like nine out of 10 new churches are like, God's called me to this area where the million dollar houses are being built. Well, no joke. I think God wants me there too, maybe. But you see how this works? Rarely do we see the demographics elevate the actual kind of people Jesus sought. The down and out, the poor in spirit, the outcasts, and the empty on the inside. May we be faithful to be focused on that because here's Lydia who was a facade of a woman. You know anybody like that? Don't point to him, just think about it. They seem to have it all together. They got the biggest portfolio, the biggest car, the biggest house. By the way, not a sin to have any of that in case you're not hearing what I'm saying. But on the inside, there's something missing. There's a vacuum. Lydia, actually, in case you didn't catch this, was never told to sell all her goods and give it to the poor like the rich young ruler. Lydia had a lot of, of product and, and, uh, and uh, selling that, that purple and had a nice house. And to the glory of God, she used it for his glory. But as much as she tried by being religious, because she was a God-fearer. What does that mean, a God-fearer? It means this. <clears throat> it means that uh, she was a uh, Gentile who worshipped the Jewish God and tried her best to figure it out. She is not much different than the Ethiopian who showed up on his way to the temple, went there, and was, and, and was reading the, the scripture from Isaiah. And Philip appears, and he goes, I'm reading. I have no idea what I'm reading. I'm just trying my best. She's no different than Cornelius, who is a God-fearer, a Gentile man, 
with many who worked under him and did not understand the fullness of the gospel, just understood what the Old Testament said about God, was drawn by the Holy Spirit to understand more. And then thankfully, God brought Peter along under his Spirit's guidance to say, let me tell you what you've been reading. Let me tell you what you've been trying. Let me tell you, let me do this for you. Here's who Lydia is. Here's who Cornelius, here's who the Ethiopian is. Anybody here like doing jigsaw puzzles? I mean real puzzles, like with boxes, cardboard, not online versions. So in the real puzzle world, Every now and then, I like doing those. So you get 1,000 pieces or 1,500 pieces. You, lay it, you throw it all out on your, on your dining room table. You, you don't use the table for like eight months from there on out. And, you, and, and, and you're working. You get the corner pieces and the edge pieces, and you, you get them all together, and then you get frustrated. You can't find anything. You walk out. Then what? Lo and behold, another person in your family walks in and goes, oh, look at that, and puts five of them together right there. So frustrating. Just thought I'd share that. But then you finally get done, and you notice your 1,500-piece puzzle has 1,499 pieces. You've been there, right? Everybody's going, oh, yeah, I got that. And you don't know if that piece is on the floor because it matches your carpet. You don't know if the dog ate it. You don't know if you vacuumed it. You're not sure if a, if, if a child took it and it's somewhere. It's gone. And from there on out, looking at that puzzle you've spent all that time on, you just go, it'll never be complete. You might as well throw it away. You can't glue it together. It's not worth looking at anymore. When you try to fill your life and fix everything and make it all work, here's what happens. Here's Lydia. She's doing her best. I'm thinking it's a godly reality, and she's a god fear. but it's like there is a piece missing, and she keeps looking for it and can't find it. Lo and behold, the vision of God, come to Macedonia and tell us the gospel. Paul and the team show up, and they start talking not to a man like they saw in the, in the vision, but to a woman who was looking for the answer. And, and I just think about this. This is God doing some, some amazing things. He, he has put this woman in the presence of the missionaries so that they may hear the gospel. But if you're not careful, if the missionaries were not listening to the Spirit of God, there is this human tendency to profile the kind of people we want in our family. All right? We profile the types of people we want in our family. We may presume that those seem to have it all together, actually have it all together, and we may begin to pick and choose with whom we share the gospel based on who we would like to have dinner with. And sometimes, and here's another thing, just as an aside, just I know we're almost out of time. We have to be very careful that when we think we're talking about Jesus, that we're actually talking about Jesus. Here's just a little FYI. Inviting people to your Sunday school class is not talking about Jesus. Telling them how friendly we are at First Baptist Church is not a gospel conversation. Those are great conversations, but they're not the conversation. If that's all you do, if that's all you've done, if that's where we have to shift, and I think this is the major turn for us, is that we as the church, we as the family of God, we as the church that God has placed here intentionally at Orange Park have to be so pumped up and excited about Jesus that we can't help talking about him because if all we're talking about is our good group of friends that meet in a building with a church logo on the front, then we're not talking about Jesus, we're just marketing a club. I knew there would be no amen, but I just want to let that sink in. Because that's me. I'm guilty of that as well. You know why? Because it's easier and it's less dangerous to invite somebody to a friend group than it is to talk to them about the greatest good news of all news. It just is. So then we become complacent and say, it's okay if they're lost as long as they're in our Sunday school class and in my care group. 
We don't say it, but we live like that. There was a piece missing in this woman's life. And she didn't need a church. She needed Jesus. And so crazy, amazing story. What happens in Philippi? A church results. Now, I don't know that Lydia founded the church. That would be kind of weird. I'm not putting those together. But to start that work, I think she was very involved in the church in Philippi. As we see, that would take place later on. But most people in their profiling would not pick a foreign businesswoman to be the influential launch or a start of a launch team for a gospel seed planted in a city. That would be as ludicrous as saying, hey, let's start a Baptist church in a town by having an influential wealthy woman do a Bible study on her front porch with a bunch of kids. Oh, that's our story at First Baptist if you didn't know that. I tell people that, say, hey, how'd your church get started? Well, I said, well, let me just tell you this. There was a lady and a front porch and a piano and a bunch of kids. That's how it started. What? I said, yeah, that's not in the North American Mission Board Church Planning Strategy Book. But by God's design, First Baptist Church in the late 20s, early 20s started here. Who knows what God's going to do next? I'm almost out of time, but let me ask, let me say this because people only hear parts of things I say, and sometimes in the world of mean Baptist people, they'll pull things out of context and tweet them and put them on YouTube and say, look at that, he's a liberal. Let me just make sure you understand. Theologically speaking, I am full-blown complementarian. If you're going, I don't even know what that means, bless your heart in a good way. But I believe that's God's role. There are roles for men and women within the church, and as a complementarian in my theology, I believe that's a reality and is the right way to do it because I don't get permission to edit the Scriptures. So that's exactly how God has defined it. Also, in that regard, I I think to discount the work done by sisters in Christ as leaders, as founders of ministries, as influencers, as missionaries, I mean, just in Southern Baptist life, we wouldn't even have a Christmas offering if not for a woman that went to China many years ago to share the gospel. And our Easter offering wouldn't have a name on it either. But to ignore the way that God has used women in his church for those many years and even now is not only legalistic and short-sighted, but sinful. God used Lydia in a great way. Well, there's two don'ts. Don't presume and don't profile, but here's a do. Do present the gospel. And I just want to, real quickly, I want you to see this. I won't keep you long. Verse 14 again. One who heard was us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. Worshiper of God, meaning she worshiped the Old Testament version of God, trying to figure him out. And then she figured him out. Look at this. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. The Lord opened her heart. She followed by being baptized as well as her household. That means she got saved, she got baptized, her family members looked at her and said, this is the right thing, and they got baptized too because they got saved. It really is simple. There was an old song many, many years ago, back when Christian music went contemporary, and you listen to the contemporary Christian music of the uh, late 70s, early 80s, and you go, that really isn't very contemporary, but at the time it was very contemporary. There was a guy named Steve Green that wrote a song called People, or sang the song, People Need the Lord. It's kind of a slow, kind of slow jam, right? People need the Lord. I'm not singing it. I'm just telling you that's what it said. Pretty good message. People need the Lord. And they do. And the Lord loves people and he loves all people. That's really crazy. God loves people you can't stand. Can you believe that? Think about that. Think about all the people on the, just think right now. Don't say them out loud because it'll be, it'll be a mess. Think of all the people you just cannot stand and how God sent his son to die for them. The Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention. Paul did not save Lydia. All Paul did was obediently present the gospel. 
And Lydia was baptized, not as an assurance of her faith, but as a profession of her faith. And she led her family in the same way, and they were all baptized. Lydia sought the Lord, but only because the Lord drew her to himself. For no one seeks God on their own. That may be your story today. Maybe you're seeking God, but you're thinking, I'm making this. You're not. God is setting you up. He is drawing you to himself to reveal this truth to you. And Paul presented the gospel to her, that good news, that free gift, that which I said earlier in the service, that we all sin and we need a Savior. And she received it. Now, there are a lot of people in Philippi that became Christians, but there are only three people in the book of Acts that are highlighted. And these three people are unique. We'll get to the other two, but let me just tell you, three stories that we get in Acts from Philippi, three testimonies, three accounts. The three people were a wealthy woman, we talked about her today, a slave girl and a jailer. One was Asian, one was Greek, and one was Roman. One was wealthy, one was poor, one was blue-collar. One was a God-fearer, but still lost. By the way, if you didn't catch that, her God-fearing lifestyle led her to hell apart from Jesus unless she received Christ. So being a good religious God-fearer does not get you to heaven. She needed the truth. The other was tormented by demons, and one was indifferent. One was won by the proclamation of the gospel verbally. One was rescued through a dramatic spiritual battle, and one was saved after experiencing incredible miracles and seeing the truth. Just three accounts in Philippi in the book of Acts on these salvation moments, but every one of those from totally different aspects of life ended with the same result. Three strangers became three family members. Now I think about today, and I think about you. I think about your stories, where you've come from, where your history is, those that are watching online. The, the stories that are represented in this place today are so varied. Some of you became Christians as children. Some of you, it was so long ago, you just struggle even to remember the moment, but you know it was real. So you are truly a believer, but you just, it was just as a child. Some of you surrendered your life to Christ as a teenager. Some as a young adult. Some as older adults. Some like, you know, Last week, 84 years old. I shared that, that picture of our brother Don Carter's baptism last week online. It became the most shared and tweeted thing I've ever put out on the internet. Amazing because I said, you know, here's 84 years old and he became a Christian. He got baptized. And it was like it woke up a, a, <laughs> an angry Twitter verse of Christians that like bashing each other. They said, wow, God's still at work. Here, 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 let me ask you. Anybody in your life you think's too far gone? It's almost too late? Here, here's the thing. It's not too late to say yes to Jesus until it's too late to say yes to Jesus. It's not too late if you can hear me say this. It's not too late if you can fog a mirror. It's not too late if you're online right now watching. It will be too late if I'm still standing here and you're in a box right there. For then it's too late. God sent in his timing a missionary team to Philippi and spoke to Lydia and others and they received the gospel. I'm no Paul. But for some reason, God sent me here in 1994. And in a more crazy concept, he kept me here. Maybe just for today. To tell you it's not too late. I love you like family because you are family. 
In fact, those of you who are Christians are much closer to me than those in my own blood family who are not. Because I'm going to hang out with you forever, and I won't with them. Not everybody in this room is part of my family, because some of you are still wrestling with that decision. Some of you, maybe as teenagers, are here because your parents make you come. Some of you here as adults are here because your parents used to make you come. But you're here, and you've heard. And while it's much easier just to presume and go on and give you a Bible study, just like it is easier to drive by that girl who is sitting on the side of the road outside of Orange Park High School and say, somebody needs to come help her. Sometimes I just need to pause, pull over and say, hey, do you know the Lord? And trust that God is doing all the work. So I say that today. And I ask you, do you know the Lord? Have you surrendered your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If not, why not?